Welcome to the Systematic Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast. This show is a collaborative effort between members of the Story Told, Bonus Experience, and Mage the Podcast. We're going to break down the basics of Exalted from its rules to its setting. I'm Monica, 3rd Edition Supplement Developer and Lead Mechanical Developer for Exalted Essence. And I'm Chaz, Exalted Writer and Fan. I'm Terry, producer for the show, and you have no idea how hard it's been to refer to sorcerer stuff as spells and not as rotes, and to write sorcery instead of magic, with a K. And this is episode 20, Hidden Secrets Whisper. Today we're going to talk about sorcery and Exalted. So, in a world where there are hundreds of entities that can manipulate essence, which super looks like magic, what does it mean to do magic or to do sorcery versus just manipulate essence? Charms and other special abilities represent an exalt or spirit's natural ability to draw on their own essence and manifest abilities in creation. While this can produce obviously supernatural outcomes, their powers are inherent to the beings using them. Sorcery represents directly manipulating the essence of creation and redirecting its flows to manifest spells or create permanent enchantments. Additionally, sorcery works the same for everyone capable of reaching that power. A spell functions for the same for a mortal sorcerer as it does for an ancient exalted master. Though the exalt, of course, will have some tricks that make things easier or more effective. When we were talking about charms, uh, my version of monkey leap technique may be different than another character's version of monkey leap technique. It may uh, manifest in a slightly different way. So what you're saying here is sorcery is more like a recipe. Like if you do the same thing in the same order, you'll always get the same outcome, assuming you can do that sorceress thing. Exactly. And it's not even as far as uh, monkey leap technique, because monkey leap technique would be just for solar exalted. But every type of exalted who casts Death of Obsidian Butterflies casts it and gets the same result. To follow the food metaphor, charms are cooking. So you can experiment and get weird and make it personal to yourself. And it will still probably turn out okay. And sorcery is baking, where you have to follow the proper steps or otherwise it'll get fucked up. So after 20 years of somewhat dedicated baking, I can improvisationally bake. The difference is when you improvisationally bake, no one can tell because that's why you have the recipe. <laughs> like, like, no, we figured it out. And it frustrated me so much when I'm like, I can just whip up a cake. And everyone's like, yeah, this tastes like a damn cake. I'm like, ah! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so is it important, though, for the setting to have both internal essence manipulation and these external magic recipes? Yeah, I mean, in setting, sorcery represents mastery over creation, allowing the sorcerer to reshape the world through their work. It's a combination of discipline, knowledge, expertise, and a spark of inspiration. Uh, And from that perspective, sorcery lets you include characters who follow the wizard archetype from other games, but bigger and weirder, because it's still exalted. Sorcery also offers a path to power for mortals in creation, um, which creates great antagonists and allies, since depending on their initiation, they they can teach and enlighten others. And these organizations grow in a way that the exalted can't. This isn't unlimited, since it still requires the exceptional or the lucky to claim initiation as a mortal. But mechanically, sorcery functions differently from other charms, which we'll get to shortly. So is that to say all mortals can learn sorcery, or given that you're a mortal who can learn sorcery, you can become quite powerful? Being a mortal who learns sorcery is usually a mark of some kind of badassitude. 
creation sort of functions on a like sliding scale of how badass and awesome you are <laughs> and in, also in creation fortune favors the bolts so if you are a regular person who's like i think i'm gonna become a sorcerer you have balls of steel uh, <laughs> and have to be brave enough and willing enough to like figure out how to get that power and obtain it for yourself whether you figure out how to like make a pact with a demon without it destroying you or like stealing the heart of a god or like tuning yourself to the flows of the world without growing extra eyes like it's you have to be strong and willful enough and so theoretically yes anybody can become a sorcerer provided that you are willing to do the things necessary to become one okay so if the solar exalted are sir patrick stewart and okay. the dragon blooded are your wide swath of Steve Buscemi's, um, okay. uh, the Buscemoy, I believe. Then uh -huh. sorcerers are every character actor combined. Like, you're like, oh, I know that guy. I'm glad you got another part as gay best friend. Or you got slightly <laughs> Gabby fat lady. Like, they're in acting, they're in show business, they figured something out, and they're working it. You're not wrong. You're not, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you're not wrong. The other thing we have in the setting that lets you do stuff with essence seemingly is technology. There's this magitech phenomenon, and there also seems to be what I'll call mundane technology. What is kind of the relationship between sorcery, essence manipulation through charms, and then technology? So sorcery kind of is a, a manipulation of the essence of creation rather than an expression of the essence of the user. A lot of first-age artifacts relied on sorcerous workings and meticulous construction to function properly. In past editions, such devices were called magitech and operated on kind of technological magic principles. In third edition, while there's still a merging of sorcery and craft, it's less rigidly technological. Additionally, not all marvelous devices require sorcery. Sometimes a master crafter can just build something using their expertise and the properties of the magical materials they work with to create something that channels essence. We'll, we'll talk more about crafting artifacts and first age artifice in a future episode. Just to kind of lay out a dichotomy or trichotomy here, you've talked about diclaves, and Monica mentioned before that in the hands of a mortal, a diclave weighs a Brazilian pounds. You might be able to lift it, but you're sure shit ain't going to be able to wield it. You infuse it with essence and suddenly it becomes light and balanced and something that you can easily do. That is not a technology. That is an object through which essence is channeled. But there Correct. are other devices in creation that either unto themselves can modify, can take in essence and work it like the salt spires that just kind of do their thing. They don't need an exalt there to power them. And in other places, there are just wonders of technology that because of the physics of Exalted, any mortal can use if they know how to. Correct. Often those are uh, workings of artifice, which do rely on sorcery for their construction because the essence pattern needs to be bound to the physical device to make it function. And, and that's where we get into first age artifice. What are the associations with what is magical and who does magic and exalted like in some games everyone who does sorcery everyone's super skeptical or it's a mark of wisdom or it's a sign that maybe you're corrupted or you've given yourself over are there's kind of association something that exists in exalted uh, there is a common stereotype that sorcerers are viewed with suspicion for being strange which is not limited to the exalted there's like kind of a stigma against sorcery in 
the realm. Yes. Um, they can summon demons and they can do all sorts of weird shit. And it, like, it's not the good, wholesome nature of the charms from the dragons. You're doing some extra stuff. And the heptagram is sure is a school full of weirdos. Pretty much, purely anecdotally, pretty much every Twilight I've ever played in a game with who bothered to be a sorcerer was also a straight up fucking weirdo. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that there are people who don't play that, but that's my anecdotal evidence. One of the most common assumptions is that sorcerers cavort with demons, perception driven by the ease of demon summoning and binding for exalted summoners. Demons are basically bound by the terms of their loss during the ancient war that the exalts fought for on the behalf of the gods and as part of their terms of the surrender they're basically bound by sorcery to, to show up and do what the summoner says this is a exalt pass only because <laughs> third edition added that mortals can do sorcery pretty regularly that's a that's actually a new thing they were previously incapable of it in other editions and honestly i like mortals being able to cast sorcery so much better because it then also that creates this this potential of like yeah this dude can call up demons except for the fact that like they don't actually have to do what he says <laughs> if an exalt does they do they're binding like that contract is binding if a regular guy does well good fucking luck buster <laughs> but, 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 but also like regular guys can only call up first circle demons which as far as demons go are not the most dangerous and also like all of them have a thing that they are good at and want to do so if you call up a, a blood ape which are basically literally big spiky covered in blood apes that like to do murder battle gorillas yeah they're like big old gorillas they like to do murder if you summon one and are like would you murder this person please they're like cool that's what i wanted to do anyway there is the case where if you call up a demon and you're like could you do the thing you're good at they're like okay yeah <laughs> sure fire, fire <laughs> elemental light that thing on fire well if i have to also mortals who initiate as sorcerers are also seen as a higher category of being not quite mortal anymore for their strange mastery over creation does the immaculate philosophy have feelings about it because it seems like that's all about restricting the the flow and manipulation of essence and suddenly you've got mortals who are cheating yeah i don't think it's been called out anywhere but the immaculate order uh, as i read it anyway would almost certainly not approve of yeah. mortals performing <laughs> they have sorcery. a problem with what's known as anything they're the catholicism of creation <laughs> they're, they're not quite the catholicism of creation and that that is a hill i'll die on okay um, <laughs> But I don't need to die on it here. Okay. I feel like the Immaculate Order, I imagine, because I'm pretty sure that is not addressed, not even in the Dragon-Blooded book, is probably cool with mortal sorcery to a degree and like oh okay you're you're summoning elementals to like build ramparts around your city or to like zoop around on your cloud trapeze or to translate via spoke the wooden face or to like defend yourself with wood dragon's claw or whatever okay fine pushing your limits on the whole dragons are the top of the perfected hierarchy but we're not gonna call the wild hunt on you it's fine as soon as you start calling up demons though all bets are off yeah that's how i feel that they would feel about it yep we're gonna pretend this isn't a problem until you make it one thanks in a lot of games demons are always bad is that the case here too uh, i fucking love demons terry i love demons so much that's why i was like when you <laughs> asked this question uh because demons aren't evil in the sense that they do things with intent to harm, except that sometimes they do. You know, Depending on what type of demon it is, yeah. Depending on what type of demon. Past the first circle, second circle, and third circle demons are people, fully sentient beings with thoughts, emotions, and the ability to make choices. 
Um, some first circle demons are too, but they tend to be like closer to elementals where they're more animalistic and more driven by like their function as opposed to second and third circle demons who are literally unique beings, all of them. So like a second circle demon is also just an alien creature. Like they are driven by their nature. They don't make human decisions. They don't behave in human ways, but they are thinking beings. So they can in fact choose <laughs> to be a shithead. <laughs> like, which is what makes them interesting. Can you use a demon as a villain? Yeah, totally, because they're a thinking being who can make a decision to be a dick. But, like, the fact that Lagier, the green son of hell, is basically a walking pile of radiation is not his fault. And the fact that if he, like, reveals his true nature, it just melts regular people, that's, like... Is that evil in that that is his nature? Because he's a radioactive green son? Uh... Like, my point is that, yeah. like, he's dangerous to be around because he is a supernatural being who is the embodiment of a sun. If people get near him, it hurts them by his nature. If he unveils it on purpose to melt the army, that's do making an intentional evil act, right? Like, there's a difference between his nature is he is a sun, and so therefore he is dangerous to regular people. And then he chooses t to weaponize that on purpose. Uh. This has been my demon apology. So how does sorcery work? So sorcery has two modes, um, spells and workings. Uh, we're going to talk about spells first and come back to workings in a little bit. Spells are the primary manifestation of sorcery. They are discrete fixed powers uh, organized by tier of power. E each tier is called a circle. Each spell has a cost in sorceress motes that represents how much effort it takes to cast the spell, and a cost in willpower, usually the same as the, the circle of the spell. So a first circle spell costs one willpower, and a third circle spell costs three. To start casting the spell, the sorcerer spends the willpower immediately, and then takes the shape sorcery action. They roll intelligence plus occult, and each success on the roll lets them gather sorceress motes. If the total number of motes gathered is enough to meet the spell's cost, the sorcerer casts a spell. So that's kind of the basics. But part of your sorceress initiation also gives you shaping rituals. These give you some way to bank or call on extra sorceress motes, and you can spend these reflexively. So if you're just on the edge of being able to cast a spell after your shape sorcery action, you can spend from your limited sorceress motes to push it to completion. If you're casting Death of Obsidian Butterflies and you need 10 sorceress motes and you roll six successes on your shape sorcery roll and you're short by four, but you have a, a bound spirit uh, that has an essence of four and you can steal motes from that spirit to uh, finish your, your shape sorcery action, you can call on those extra sorceress motes to complete the spell and cast it immediately instead of needing to take a second round of casting. Additionally, if you successfully cast a spell, you regain a point of willpower. So as long as you stay successful, sorcery doesn't get too draining. The Exalted, of course, can do it better simply through applying the Occult or Intelligence Excellency, depending on what type of Exalt you are. You can boost your Shape Sorcery rolls, so that lets you accumulate successes a lot faster than a Mortal Sorcerer. And many types of Exalted have other charms that can potentially let them boost their sorcery. There's a lot of spells and different games break it up differently are they broken up into levels and what are they called is it a spell yeah yes. spells are called spells Woo! <laughs> like DD spells you have kind of like levels where the higher the circle 
is what they're called. Spell levels of circle. We'll get to that in a sec. Uh, the more powerful they are. But D&D has what, like up to nine levels of spells? It's been a minute. Yes, wizards get nine levels of spells in D&D. Right. Okay, so so rather than there being nine levels of spells, there's only three. But they're bigger and weirder because this is exalted. <laughs> the, the first circle is sometimes called the terrestrial circle or also the emerald circle. The second circle is called the celestial circle or sometimes also the sapphire circle. And the third circle, which is also called the solar circle or the adamant circle. Each circle is progressively more powerful and requires a new level of initiation represented by charms for the exalted regular people can pretty much only access the first circle of sorcery which is still extremely powerful (laughs) so like that's nothing to sneeze at the other two are pretty much exalt only bases or powerful magic user only spaces because gods and other strange non-human creatures can access them all right so celestial circle sorcery requires essence three and uh, solar sorcery requires essence five uh, and even the supernal ability that solars get can't get you a shortcut there. You have to raise your own essence. You can't just skip directly to solar circle sorcery. Additionally, not all sorcerers are even capable of attaining all circles. Like I just talked about, mortals are capped to the terrestrial circle. Only the celestial exalted, like lunars and siderials, and a whole bunch of other stuff that's not released yet, can use celestial circle spells, and solars and infernals can use solar circle sorcery. That said, there are some ways around this limitation. For example, the dragon-blooded Niman is known to be a celestial circle sorcery. In previous editions, she achieved that through an artifact. I don't know if third edition is rolling with that. She definitely still has celestial steel circle spells in her write-up is there a reason to build up more smotes than you need like the spells need some to be maintained or do you bank them all like how do you get back your sorcery juice once you've used it Sure. So shaping sorcery doesn't call on your own moats. You're not calling from a pool of limited resources for the most part. So you can just shape sorcery again. There are a handful of spells that have a sustaining cost where every round you need to continue shaping sorcery and maintain at least a certain number of moats per round if you want to extend the spell. But most spells happen and they're done or they happen and they have a duration and you don't have to continue channeling essence to sustain them. However, the additional motes uh, granted by your shaping rituals from initiation uh, each have their own mechanism to bank sorceress motes. So there's a bunch of different kind of mini mechanisms depending on how you get your sorcery that can give you that extra juice. So if I want a sorcery, how do I get started? For exalted characters, you get started with sorcery by buying the terrestrial circle sorcery charm, which is usually an occult or an intelligence charm. This charm gives you a shaping ritual from your initiation and a control spell for free. At character creation, you can buy into sorcery freely, um, but after the start of the game, we generally advise connecting learning sorcery to a narrative event that represents claiming your initiation. In either case, part of becoming a sorcerer means defining how you became a sorcerer, and that's your sorceress initiation. There's a bunch of them in the exotic core book, a few more in What Fire Has Wrought and Fangs at the Gate. Just as an example, you might make a pact with an Ifrit Lord, granting you mastery over fire along with your sorcery. Like we talked about earlier, most dragon-blooded of the realm study at the heptagram, like we talked about earlier. The heptagram teaches sorceress insight through basic study, but they also teach focus through like geomantic and elemental practice and excellence. Each initiation also comes with a shaping ritual. Uh, they all have three, and you pick one uh, when you buy your sorcery charm. For example, a sorcerer who makes that pact with an Ifrit lord uh, can pull moats from fire, which diminishes fire. So if they have active fire around them, they've got lots of sorceress moats they can pull on, uh, but those fires will start to go out. Uh, alternatively, they can claim sorceress moats 
instead of willpower when they uphold an intimacy, representing stoking the fires of passion. On the other hand, a lunar sorcerer who studies under Roxy's tutelage can gain sorcerer's motes once per story by inspiring fear in a non-trivial character, feasting off of their terror, or they can spend hours binding a spell into sigils that they mark on their skin. The Sorcerer in My Solar game binds demons and ghosts into jars, and then can steal motes from their, the bound spirits. You can also gain additional shaping rituals when you gain higher uh, circles of sorcery, or you can buy them individually. Mortals don't get a sorcery charm because they don't get charms. Instead, they have to buy a five-dot merit that requires a cult three and gives them a shaping ritual. Additionally, each circle that you initiate into gives you your first spell for free, and that becomes your control spell, giving you an extra benefit. What does occult as a ability represent in the game? Does it represent a natural inclination towards uh, the, the sorceress or supernatural or the strange, or does it strictly reflect study? It is both a knowledge and a practice. Okay. It is your knowledge of essence, of geomancy, of spirits, uh, of the theory of gods, if not of the gods themselves, which would likely be covered under lore, as well as the practices associated with those things, uh, like performing an exorcism or warding a site from ghosts. Uh, and of course, the practice of sorcery. Why can only solars practice solar circle sorcery? Like 3E to me was like, we're going to level the playing field slightly, except for this. You don't get death ray. Eat it. <sighs> well... Every exalt type gets unique powers, and only solars have the mastery over creation to command the spells of the Circle of Adamant. Technically incorrect. Infernals do too. <laughs> <laughs> They're like green solars, so, you know. Do abyssals then too? Point. Abyssals get void circle necromancy. <sighs> so what are some badass spells you can cast in the game, and bonus points if you can do it like at character creation? The classic attack spell is Death of Obsidian Butterflies. Fuck off, Fireball. Uh, <laughs> summons a cloud of obsidian shards in the shape of butterflies that shreds everyone in their path and leaves the ground strewn with shattered black glass. Uh, Stormwind Rider lets you conjure and ride a whirlwind. Invulnerable Skin of Bronze does what it says in the tin, turning you into a living bronze statue. Uh, corrupted Words is a binding curse that forbids a victim from communicating about a prescribed topic. Uh, and causing them to violently vomit up maggots if they try to violate the prohibition. Um, and these are all first circle cell spells. Can I share what my favorite spell is? Yes. Sure. Death Ray. Not because it's awesome <laughs> and you can cut down a forest, but everything else in Exalted has a stupid-ass long name. And instead of it being Vulgate Decree of the Unconquered Binding of the Sun's Infinite Essence... It's death ray. And I found that very refreshing. <laughs> and most of yeah. the thing is not systems. It's just like, here's all the shit you could fuck up with it. <laughs> it's just it's it's not it's not game text. It's the writer showing off how cool it is. <laughs> yeah, death ray is an example of, of one of the solar circle spells. It is a beam that disintegrates anything it touches out to short range, and the sorcerer can redirect it each round, uh, continuing to cast the spell. Yeah, I've, I've played Diablo before. <laughs> um, also, rain can't prismatic spray. Place to fucking total annihilation with the fucking death rain. 
Reign of Doom is a, another solar circle destruction spell uh, that summons an acid rainstorm that lasts until sunrise, potentially destroying everything in the area of a small city, completely dissolving organic materials, and pitting stone and metal. In the kind of more reasonable uh, celestial circle, uh, that is of course accessible to a wider set of characters, you have spells like Magma Kraken that summons giant lava tentacles that lash out your, at your opponents, and Cloud Trapeze that creates a cloud barge capable of carrying tons of cargo and flying 30 to 50 miles per hour. Oh man. Uh, or incomparable body arsenal, which turns you into a robot with, that's full of weapons. That's pretty awesome. What are the limitations of sorcery, and why are they always so lame? There are three limitations to sorcery. Uh, two of them have been in the game from the beginning, and one of them is new to 3rd edition. Uh, the two classic ones are there is no true resurrection. You may be able to call up a soul and bind it to a construct, even a living construct, but you can't do undo death and you can't reclaim exaltation. Uh, the second of the classic limitations is no time travel or alteration of the past. Uh, this preserves the cho that choices have consequences. And the new one is that immortality always has a catch. It needs to be renewed, has a, a, some limitations, uh, requires preserving another object, or leaves a critical vulnerability. I don't know. These don't seem like boring restrictions. Uh, they could be a lot more un uninspired. <laughs> yeah. I just like the immortality one being new and it'd be like, no immortality, Gary. <laughs> the reason you know, for introducing that as a new thing is really the introduction of sorceress workings. Uh, previously, when spells uh, were written, there were just there were no spells for immortality. But sorceress workings definitely give you the scope to be like, you know what, I'm going to create an immortality thing. And so they, I believe they added that as a, uh, a sorceress working limitation. Also, previous editions had a lot of weird life extending stuff, which always just sort of struck me as odd because, like, I don't know any game in which that matters. <laughs> You're not a true exalted <laughs> fan then. Uh, sure, I, <laughs> only because I haven't played a game in which all our exalts died of old age. Oh, yeah. Exalted has a crafting system for building big stuff, like your dieclave made out of smaller dieclaves. Is there a magic version of making a big thing that's not a spell? Uh, yes. I mentioned sorceress workings above. Uh, learning sorcery also gives you the ability to perform sorceress workings. Uh, workings are ad hoc, long-form enchantments that create something or leave a permanent effect in the essence of creation. Uh, creating a working is an extended action. Uh, again, the sorcerer is rolling intelligence plus occult. Only they're rolling once per week. They're building up threshold successes towards a goal. The result of the working, what you're trying to accomplish, sets the goal number. Uh, the difficulty of the roll is set by how much control you want over the manifestation of that thing that you are working towards. And the means available to the sorcerer, do they have a laboratory? Do they have a cache of magic materials? Do they have spells or charms that align with what they're trying to do um, can limit the number of rolls that you can make building towards your goal. Uh, workings also have an experience point cost uh, that the sorcerer has to pay, so you are a little bit limited in how many workings you can do. And those are refunded at the end of the story if the working is neutralized or becomes irrelevant. So for example, if you build a an enchanted horse that can fly and that horse gets murdered, 
you get your your horse points refunded. A refund on your horse points. <laughs> is there like a chart on how to estimate the cost of those things? How freeform is that? Like what guides that? So there is a chart. There are nine levels of ambition of sorceress workings that determine how many successes you need to get. The lowest level sorceress workings require five successes, so they're they're pretty achievable even by beginning sorcerers. These could do things like summon an unbound demon or make a small but but permanent geographical alteration such as drawing a freshwater spring or flattening a hill. You could ward a town from some mundane threats like rats. All the way up to Ambition 3 Solar Circle workings, which do things like make subtle alterations in the metaphysics of the entire cosmos, or create a supernatural being of singular nature and considerable power, uh, or cast a city into another realm of existence. Is there a way to make magic items? And are the, is that different than an artifact? So creating magic items largely uses craft. We'll cover that in a future episode where we talk about crafts and artifacts. I have allowed uh, sorceress workings to be cast on an item to create kind of an enchanted item that isn't quite an artifact, but is an item that has magical properties because there's nothing about workings that say they, they can't be worked into an item. Hmm. It just requires having the item or making the item and also performing a sorceress working. For example, in my solar game, the Twilight Sorcerer created a mask for our Nightcast Assassin that emits eerie smoke and grants an intimidation bonus. So there are a bunch of things stereotypically associated with sorcery, and one of them to me is summoning. And you've mentioned elementals and stuff. Is that its own system? The whole bringing about demons seems kind of important. There's a terrestrial circle spell that summons or creates an elemental. Um, so there's that. Also, there's a terrestrial circle spell called Demon of the First Circle, which calls up a Demon of the First Circle. And then this second circle one is Demon of the Second Circle, and the third circle one is Demon of the Third Circle. Uh, and when you can do that, it gets more and more specific. Like, uh, you cannot call on third circle demons any day of the week. You have to cast that spell during cal- calibration. The five reset days between the end of the previous year and the start of the new year. And in creation, the, the sun and the moon do not appear in the sky during that time. It's like Lunar New Year's meets Halloween. I don't know that they've been reprinted yet, but um, in previous editions, you could summon a bunch of other weird shit. Sorceress workings also call out that you don't necessarily need spells to summon demons. Uh, you can do it through a working. That means that instead of casting the spell as a single ritual, you cast it as a much longer working that can summon a demon, but that demon's not going to be bound. And that does let sorcerers reach beyond the usual limits of their circles for summoning demons. So that's fun. So we've talked about a bunch of different types. I remember in other episodes, you made mention of the fact that I think abyssals don't have access to sorcery, but they have access to necromancy. Uh, What is that? And we've also talked about stuff like void tech and magitech. What, What are those, Johns, to use the technical term? Sure. Uh, so necromancy is the dark reflection of sorcery. In previous editions, it worked exactly the same, but had a different spell list that focused on death and the underworld and murder. 
and the heights of power were attainable only by the Abyssals and the Death Lords, represented by Void Circle Necromancy. We have not seen the 3rd edition version of Necromancy yet, but I expect it'll follow the same basic mechanics, a sorcery with a unique set of spells, initiations, and shaping rituals. Magitech is the combination of technology and essence in former editions. Uh, like I said earlier, that was replaced by First Age Artifice for 3rd edition, and that's really something we'll talk about more in the, the craft section. Necrotech is the abyssal reflection of Magitech, and so it relies on the principles of necromancy and the essence of the underworld. And so like Artifice, it will probably function the, the same way, uh, only for necromancy instead of for sorcery. And Void Tech is weird alchemical stuff, and I don't know anything about it. So we've talked a lot about how sorcery works in 3rd edition. How does it work in Essence, Monica? Okay, so like we talked about in combat and like we talked about during the social episode, we are doing... Essence basically does a lot of the same things, just with less steps. The same principles apply. You still need an, a sorceress initiation. If you are converting a sorcerer character, you will see stuff that's familiar. We sort of condensed willpower and sorceress motes into one resource called will, which you do still need to build up. It works basically the same way and there is a focus will action, which is pretty much the same thing as gathering up sorceress motes. And your initiation defines how you get more bang for your buck, which is basically the same thing as a shaping ritual. Will, like everything in essence, maxes out at 10. So you're never going to look at like, this solar circle spell costs 50 smotes and 8 willpower. Like Most spells cost 10 will, and that is extremely expensive. This is also because for attack spells, essence attack spells allow you to use will instead of power. And will is one of the only in-game currencies that persists between sessions without um, diminishing or filling back up. Like your moats obviously stick around, but they fill back up like they're not spent or committed. If you absolutely need to open a fight by fucking someone up with Death of Obsidian Butterflies, you can unload immediately. Um, but again, you only have 10 will. So you might be out of juice if you pumped a ton of will into making that extremely dangerous. But that might also be a good call. A prepared sorcerer is terrifying. The big thing is that spells have modes now. So there is a category of spells called universal spells, very much like universal charms, which are which have functions that are either sorceress based on their sorceress mode or necromantic based on their necromancy mode. So Hound of the Five Winds and Bone Lion didn't need to be different mechanically. What? Uh, both of them summon <laughs> well, both of them summon a dangerous big creature that like stalks its target, right? So obviously the sorceress mode creates like the elemental creature and the necromantic mode creates the, you know, monster made out of bones and both of them do slightly different damage based on on that is how I'm pretty sure how that works. But like that, that is just an example. I think Death of Obsidian Butterfly's necromantic mode is flesh, flesh sloughing wave. Nice. But you do have some spells that are purely sorcery, which are generally leaning more towards effects that are like very tied into the function of creation. Spoke the Wooden Face or Wood Dragon's Claw. Both of those things are very evocative of an elemental, uh, elemental thing, right? Uh, and on the other hand, you have things that are very specifically necromancy because they are super tied to the underworld. You can still do sorceress workings. They are now a very specific kind of venture, which is the catch-all for all projects. Vance and Eric were involved with the creation of Essence through the whole process. 
this wasn't like done behind their back. Uh, sometimes I feel like people think that it was. We did this to destroy third edition because we hate it. And actually, like, I like having a job. <laughs> they were involved in making sure that everything lined up and that like all the new stuff matched the sort of basic vision that we had. The lore is not made up whole cloth by Neil or me. So uh, we want to we wanna give this a try? <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. After your confrontation with Nimon Eanji, Iria and Shroud return to Prismatic Cascade, the town on the Tarapan Wastes where they are fomenting their rebellion and hoping to revive the cult of the old river god that once brought, brought waters to the town. Shroud, with the confrontation with the Nimon soldiers, you expect that uh, you're, you are going to have to leave this area for a while, and you want to leave the town of Prismatic Cascade with a blessing, uh, some gift of sorcery that, that will aid them when you are far. Any thoughts about what kind of uh, sorceress enchantment you'd like to leave the town with? Yes, I would like to make it so that whenever a dust storm comes through the area, it goes around it. it. One of the things the town deals with is the constant fine grit that is abrading against it. Uh, it it's hard to repair the town uh, as quickly as it's as it's being abraded, and the very soft rock that many of the newer structures are made of get worn down. And additionally, I like the idea that this can also serve as a protection against uh, bandits or what have you, since one side of the town is up against the the butte of a mesa or something like that. The idea that there is a persistent windstorm that kind of protects it on one side or something. I, I don't know how scale-wise that fits into the grand scheme of things, but that's, that's my idea for a blessing to just kind of uh, modify how the winds of the area go. Okay, let me take a look at the uh, workings in the book here. So looking at Ambition 1 under Terrestrial Circle workings, uh, that includes things like making a small but permanent scale uh, geographical alteration, such as drawing up a hill. Yeah, or, or something that, that kicks up at opportune moments. This feels to me like an Ambition 3 under the Bless a Region to Enhance Its Natural Properties portion or place a curse on a, on a small region in a way that diminishes warps or blights it. So it's like that, but the opposite. <laughs> it's more or less a blessing. Okay, so we'll go, we'll go with Ambition 3 then, if that's, what, if that's what you're thinking for this wind barrier. I have barrier. so many dice for this. This is going to feel great. I like the idea that after having seen Iria fight with uh, Numan Yanji or whatever their unpronounceable name is, because I can never tell how dragon-blooded names are, that like during the casting, I do the cool X thing, and I'm like, choo, choo, oh, and I'm, I'm kind of making like warrior lightsaber noises with my voice the whole time, but a la the, uh, the bracers that Iria had. So we've set our, our ambition uh, of Terrestrial 3. That gives you a goal number of okay. 20, meaning you need a total of 20 successes, 20 threshold successes to complete the working. The next thing we need to do is determine the finesse. The finesse gives you your base difficulty. Uh, what is the number that you need to exceed to get successes? And finesse can be uh, 1, 2, or 3. A finesse of one means that 
you are summoning sorcery and you don't care how it does the thing. So it may have inconvenient or unexpected side effects. Finesse 2 means you basically define how it works, um, but it may have some quirks. And Finesse 3 means you have total mastery over the, this, this effect uh, and every aspect of it. Now, uh, just to check, you said 1, 2, 3. When I look in the book, it's 1, 3, 5. If there's a weird exception or the windstorm only keeps out true enemies or something like that, I'm fine if there's a weird stipulation that allows for plot to happen. So I, I'm fine with Finesse 1 on that. But I'm fine with Finesse 3. Dumb question. I know I asked this several episodes ago, but on an extended roll, when there is a difficulty, do I need to beat that difficulty on each roll? Or once that difficulty is beat, is it beaten for the ex entire extended action? You need to beat it on each roll. If you meet the difficulty, it counts as one success, and any above that are your threshold successes that will add to the pool. So because it's difficulty three, if you rolled seven successes, uh, you would get five successes towards your goal. Does anything kooky happen for botching? Because I know in, a, in storytelling games, botching on an extended action is basically uh, your house is nuked from space. Yes, I forget what it is, and it's really uncommon because botches are hard and exalted. You would need to have no successes on a roll, and that is unlikely to occur. But I only have nine dice plus my excellency plus willpower, Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the last piece uh, for a working is the means. And a sorceress working that has no special means has a terminus of five rolls, meaning that you can only roll five times towards building your successes. I don't know if you want to extend any means. The first one that comes to mind is uh, complementary spells. Uh, the Cirrus Skiff is fundamentally about the manipulation of wind uh, and the sky, and I am attempting to do more or less the same thing. So that feels thematically tied. Is that at all what that wants? Yes, that is exactly what that wants. That will certainly give you uh, an additional roll, so you can take up to six attempts to build your pool. Yeah, my only other thought is, I don't know, can you use several of these, or is it just like, pick one? Uh, yes, you can use several of these. Okay, my other thought is lore spirits. Um, since I am specialized with the uh, the spirits of the waste, it seems to make sense that I would be able to call upon particular ones to uh, to usher this wind in the way I wish. Yes, um, and that uh, can give you uh, one or two. I'm going to say that gives you one extra interval, so that that brings you up to seven. Okay, so let's uh, okay. let's jump in. How do you set out? to cast this working. And this will count as a stunt towards your first interval as well. I think the first thing I do is try and get as high on the mesa as possible and look down upon it. And from that height, I can see where wind and water has dominated the formation of the terrain versus the modifications the townspeople and previous denizens of the area have created. 
And as I pull back, I clearly see the essence channels that kind of flow through the area. And I get an idea of the subtle modifications of where stones are placed or where a copse of trees is that would uh, allow me to get the effect that I want. So from sufficient distance, I can see the intrinsic order or chaos of the place. And that informs me as to what requests I want to make of the local uh, wind spirits or what have you. Awesome. I'll count that as a level two stunt, so that'll get you two extra dice and an automatic success. Uh, And now let's build your pool. Workings default to intelligence plus occult for your pool. So many dice. Uh, Okay, that gives me nine. Uh, Your stunt gave you the extra two. Uh, Would would you like to uh, boost that with your excellency? I want to excellency the shit out of that. Like, if I look like a badass who basically is on fire from a distance, bring it. Who cares? I'm going to be visible from space. That's fine. (laughs) So you're going to be boosting it with the uh, occult excellency. Uh, You could spend up to nine motes of essence on that, which would give you an extra nine dice. Is there any reason not to do that? Like, a die now and a die later mean the same thing. There is no reason not to do that. Uh, uh. So, So you get to roll 20 dice. You have an automatic success. So Would you like big. to spend a point of willpower on this as well to you fool, uh, yes to gain a second automatic <laughs> success? Yeah. Roll twenty dice and try not to strain your wrist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what was that, Chaz? I couldn't hear the number. Twenty dice. And again, that's nine from his base uh, pools, uh, another nine from the excellency, and two from the stunt. And zeros count as two. Zeros counts too. Ones do not remove successes, correct? Ones do not remove successes. Oh, good, because I got so many ones. Uh, so I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine successes. Yeah, plus, plus the two automatic successes. So that's 11. Two. Okay. Uh, with finesse three uh, means that you need to hit a three. So that's back down to, to, to nine. You build nine successes towards your working. Is there a benefit to getting more successes than necessary, or is it just a target and you hit it? Just a target and you hit it. Oh my god, that's so... Uh That is the best thing about this game so far. There is an option that you can choose to reduce the finesse after the roll if you need to take shortcuts on your final roll, and that will bring you to the conclusion, but I don't think that's necessary here. The, the first part of this is that these the patterns of essence become manifestly clear and I can see this kind of ghostly overlay of where the rocks and stones need to be or where the uh, the dens and warrens of the various creatures need to be re- readjusted to get there. Yeah, um, or, and, and so you spend the week walking that, that ground and making all the subtle changes that you need to channel the wind. So is that the thing? Is it a week per roll? It is a week per roll. Oh, okay. That, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> the idea of whipping this off in an afternoon seems like a bit much. Um, in, indeed. So you you have laid the groundwork. What is the next phase of your working? And again, this you're not required to come up with some nonsense here. If, if you wanted, you could just say, I'm going to roll again. And that would mean you're rolling without a stunt. But there's no reason not to uh, uh, create the stunt to get the bonus here. Yeah. I think the next step for me, when you have packed with an Afrit Lord, is that also a character that you can lead? Is that Afrit Lord something you can like lean on narratively? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Okay. For- so I think the next thing is for me to spend some time talking with my Afrit Lord and being like, yo, 
I know you're all fire elemental and shit, but you're fire elemental in the sky. So if you got mad ins with air, you want to drop me a solid? I'll burn some dope shit. Th- those are all diegetic terms from what I understand. Um, as is John. I think that happens in, in essence. But um, I think the next part is the treaty and the bargaining period with the wind spirits themselves. And being like, hey, I created you a better home. I even moved that monitor lizard. I have the bite marks to prove it. In the interest of simplifying terms, uh, we did in fact classify every repeat instance of thing or stuff uh, as John, uh, uh, which we put in the lexicon. Thank you. I- <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so that is going to be a level one stunt uh granting you your two extra dice um i assume you're going to spend for your full excellency again there yeah and i assume during this process i don't get moats back you you do your moats still recover at five per hour okay all the dice oh no oh wait oh yay one two three four five six seven Eight, nine, ten, a mere ten successes. So that is another eight on top of your uh, initial nine. The spirits of air are reluctant to come to your call, but with the proper offerings, uh, once you realize that they do not want a burning of incense, as in most places, uh, because the fire spirits dominate here, they want other offerings, offerings of water on the hot sand, uh, which evaporates into the air, uh, quenching their thirst, and summoning them to the the region. Uh, in addition to the, the walk, now there's kind of a, a breeze through the town. Uh, it, it's almost humming with, with air. You know that feeling before a storm where it's not like blowing hard wind but like there's weird wind that is uh, zipping in every direction and it like feels almost like it's going to lift you up kind of the whole town has that mm. feeling now as uh, as you have worked your your sorcery um but it is not bound to this place uh, what do you do to bind the working into the essence of creation I think the the third part is I go about and I mark various locations with the sigil of the sleeping river god. So my goal is to bind those wind spirits to the service of that sleeping uh, river god or sleeping water entity that we are trying to coax back. It is it is one of those things where it is so powerful that even in its sleep, it has the ability to to lightly direct what is happening. It is just not aware enough to cause the desert to bloom. Uh, and then there's also a brief period where I put up like informational flyers that are like, hey, don't mess with this. This protects your town. And I come up with some sort of like, yeah, this glowing rock looks really cool, kids. Don't play with it. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's kind of a two-parter. There's maybe a uh, a brief informational session with refreshments afterwards. Um, okay. Maybe there's a 1950 style thing where Eerie and I are acting it out, and Eerie like turns into some sort of giant beast that like uh, pursues a child, and everyone claps politely. Okay. I'll, I'll count that as a, a level three stunt. So you'll get your two extra dice and two bonus successes there. Um, and then you don't have again, to me, Chess. And I assume once again you'll be rolling your 20 dice. Oh, yeah. Nine successes. Uh, yep. And so with the two automatic successes on top of that from the stunt, that adds another nine to your pool. 
more than accounting for the required successes, getting to your goal number of 20. Uh, it has taken you three weeks uh, of work to complete this, but with the final inscription of the god's sigil and the infusion of your own essence into the uh, network that you have created uh, around the town, the breezes um, kind of pulse downwards and out, and there's a, a puff of dust. You can see just at the edge of the town the dry grasses rippling where the, the wind is coursing, uh, and this, this working has been completed. The town of Prismatic Falls is protected from the dust storms of, of the wastes, uh, and you are one step closer to making the desert bloom. Yay! So while we won't get to see it in, in this location, one of the unexpected quirks is that uh, around the town uh, is going to form like a, a mound of sand. Uh, mm. So it's, it's not going to be big, but there's going to be an obvious boundary. Uh, there's a where berm? The, where, the winds, uh, where the winds deposit the sand that would normally blow into town. And so that, that is going to need to be either allowed to build up or uh, cleared by the, the townspeople. And it's not, it's not a burden because it's not over land that they care about. And it, it's not going to collapse inwards because the wind is constantly blowing it out. Um, but indeed, there is a berm uh, of, of sand and dust uh, that builds up around Prismatic Falls. I like that if we leave them like, hey, how do you like my berm? <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on sorcery and such? Um, like other long-form systems, uh, sorcery is the kind of thing that's helpful to take out... Or sorcerer's workings especially are something that's helpful to take outside the session um, because it's really getting involved in both rules and narrative with a single player. Uh, so don't don't be afraid to take it between sessions or to meet early with your player to, to kind of address those real character-focused things that let them use their big powers. And with that, uh, before we roll out, I'd just like to note that our good friends at the Bonus Experience Experience have allowed us to use their Discord to talk about Exalted in a place which is usually hopping with people talking about exalted but to join their discord go to discord.exaltcast.com i think terrycutthat.exaltcast.com also works to direct you there <laughs> i felt i was surging with power when i set up the redirect and once you land introduce yourself and say hey i would like access to the systematic understanding of everything channel and uh, one of the nigh omnipotent beings that oversees it will invest you with the ability to see those hidden missives it's me. I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah. It, it's me. It's, it's, it's I'm going to add you. You know, I might be able to figure out how to give the systematic understanding of everything host the ability to add that role. I'll figure it out. And as, a, as an encouragement or discouragement from joining said Discord channel, that's where I've been putting all the little bits that I've been cutting from episodes into there. It's uh, been fun. Uh, Monica, if we're curious, what else you're up to? Where can we do that? You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Sun talk about all kinds of things over there mostly games but all kinds of things if you want to hear my thoughts and feelings on game design you can go listen to bonus experience which will be starting its new season at the beginning of march hooray yay you can find that at bxpcast.com and Chaz, how about you 
you can follow me on Twitter as at StoryToldChaz. Uh, the fall of Giara continues, uh, though I believe the end is now in sight uh, from us recording, and that is exciting. And you can find that podcast, which is a dragon-blooded actual play, on the Story Told podcast feed. And if you would like to spend wildly more time talking about much more difficult to interpret magical systems that allow for slightly more creativity, but arguably less butterfly shrapnel, you can do that at madetothepodcast.com or follow me on Twitter at Terry Robinson. Peace. Thank you for listening to Systematic Understanding of Everything, an exalted podcast. Go to exaltcast.com to subscribe, see our show notes, or listen to our past episodes. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Anchor.fm. If you have a question, shoot us an email at questions at exaltcast.com. If you'd like to support our show, please consider using the affiliate links in our show notes to make purchases on DriveThruRPG and thestorytellervault.com. The opening theme is Return of the Solar Exalted, and the closing theme is the Sidereal Exalted Lesser But Safe from Fanfare for the Chosen by James Simple and is used with permission. In the meantime, exalt strong.